and welcome to Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. My name is David Ha, and I am an infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist at Stanford Healthcare in Palo Alto, California. And the title of today's podcast is Waking the Sleeping Giant, Engaging Nurses in Antimicrobial Stewardship, a topic very near and dear to my heart, as well as to the hearts of my two guests. So I'm very excited to be joined today by two incredible people, Dr. Rita Olins and Dr. Elizabeth Monses. Dr. Rita Olins is an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute of Health Professions in Boston, Massachusetts. Rita, could you please say hello to our audience and tell us a little bit about your background, training, and uh, how you got into antimicrobial stewardship? Thanks, David. Thanks for inviting me. Educational paths take a variety of ways in nursing, and Elizabeth and I have very different paths, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine, and then Elizabeth will jump in. I started modestly in what was the traditional three-year-old hospital training programs. It was mostly clinical, and it, with one year of college, and I don't think very many of these programs are still around, but um, it wasn't long before I realized I needed to go and back to school and learn more. So I went back to school, but I got a degree in thanatology, the study of death and dying. And partially it was because it was so difficult to take my old learning and put it onto a bachelor's program. That was fixed later on in the IOM report, which um, encouraged nurses to keep going down their educational path and made it easier for us. So that degree in thanatology actually helped me because I began to realize that um, taking care of patients was actually interdisciplinary. I later went back, became an NP, I got my master's, I worked in school-based health centers. Again, I was talking to lots of different people that weren't nurses or doctors, and it was outside the traditional hospital. And um, just for fun, I fell off the edge of the universe, or actually the United States, and went down to the U.S. Virgin Islands, and I began to work in HIV, STD, and TB, and that's what actually got me started into the field of antimicrobial stewardship, because I began to realize the problems with multidrug-resistant gonorrhea. So when we came back, my husband and I came back, I went back to school, got my DNP, and I had to find a project to work on. And the work that had started actually at a meeting in New York that was sponsored by the CDC and was focused on um, multidrug resistant gonorrhea at the time was the spark that started my doctorate. So today I'm teaching. I'm teaching nursing students, nurse practitioner students, and I work as a hospitalist in one of the Boston teaching hospitals. And my research and my scholarship is now in antimicrobial stewardship and how nurses can contribute to this safety issue with our patients. Wonderful, thank you, Rita. And I have to disclose to our listeners today that Rita has been a mentor of mine for several years now and is actually uh, the main reason that um, I got interested in this uh, particular topic of nurses and uh, antimicrobial stewardship. So Rita, I'm doubly excited to be uh, chatting with you today on this podcast. 
And I'm also joined by Dr. Elizabeth Monsis, who serves as the Antibiotic Stewardship Program Manager and Senior Patient Care Services Researcher at the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, Elizabeth, could you please say hello to our audience and tell us a little bit about your background and your training and how you ended up in antimicrobial stewardship? Thanks, David. Actually, the theme of mentorship, as you mentioned, um, Rita's mentorship over the years, is kind of woven throughout my introduction as well. So I'm actually a nurse that worked in the intensive care nursery, but I always had an interest in microbiology. And I remember talking with one of my colleagues one night, and she's like, you know, there's this nurse over at Children's Mercy that really likes bugs, and I think you'd like her a lot. And so um, anyway, I ended up calling Cindy Olson Burgess, who was at that time the director of our infection prevention program, and she let me shadow her for a day. And I realized that that was the work that I really wanted to do. And so several months later, Cindy calls me and said that there was a position in an adult community hospital as an infection preventionist. And I was hired over there. And I remember during the interview, she's like, you know, we have a problem with C. diff. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm coming from the ICN. This is not an issue that I'm familiar with at all. And I essentially grew to love studying that work and some of the different strategies. And I think that that really started my interest in prevention and in different strategies. And, and then of course, later stewardship. So several years after working in the adult care, I was recruited back to pediatrics. And that's where I started as, again, as an infection preventionist with a, with a focus in, as I, as I mentioned, pediatrics. And then later I took a job as a clinical safety officer and for those of you that may not be familiar with that role is essentially conducting root cause analysis and event reporting systems. There's different hospital-wide educational programs, but it's really trying to understand our organizational health. And I think through that work, as well as trying to move different prevention strategies forward as an infection preventionist, the idea of team relationships and how that really influences clinical outcomes became important to me. So I went on for my master's and then later my PhD. I think that's really how my interest around patient harm, as far as the clinical impact of different improvement programs, particularly how teams are working with one another, has been my primary focus related to stewardship. And I would say that the second time really mentorship has kind of woven through my professional path is I was at an annual conference for APIC, for the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology. And lo and behold, Mary Lou Manning comes and sits by me in one of the breakout sessions. And she's at, at the time, she's our APIC president. And afterwards, I, I asked her and I said, you know, are you who I think you are? And she's like, well, I'm Mary Lou. And I said, you know, I'm getting ready to start my PhD in the fall. Is there, uh, and I know I want to do infection prevention research. Is there an area that you think would be where I could most contribute? And she said, Elizabeth, there's a lot of movement towards stewardship and engaging nurses in that work. And that's really what set it off in that direction. So I have been quite fortunate throughout my professional track to really have wonderful nurse leaders that have guided me through this process. And, and I think, you know, I think that resonates as our podcast goes on of how we can help lead others um, into doing some of the safety work. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you both again so much for joining me today. 
Okay, so the title of this podcast episode is Waking the Sleeping Giant, Engaging Nurses in Antimicrobial Stewardship. And I'd like to explain that title a bit to our listeners. According to the American Nurses Association, there are nearly 4 million registered nurses in the United States. Now, if you compare that to about 1 million physicians and about 300,000 pharmacists nationwide, you can understand why we chose the word giant in the title. And in all honesty, you don't need to know those statistics to know that there are a ton of nurses doing a lot of great work out there. You just need to take a little walk around your hospital or any healthcare facility that you're in. Now, I want to make sure that we're on the same page with regard to nurses are. So, Rita, could you start us off and tell us a bit about the profession of nursing? What kinds of training nurses go through and some of their areas of practice? With only 4 million nurses in the U.S., I'm sure that's a simple question to answer. I like to say if you've met a nurse, you only know one nurse. Um, there are a lot of roles that nurses play. And as we, I'm going to talk about a little bit, the educational paths that nurses take can be quite varied. It was actually in 2010 with the IOM report, the Institute of Medicine report, and then with the Institute of Healthcare Improvement, IHI, these two big initiatives were major factors in promoting more nursing education. And the IOM actually made it easier for nursing, uh, for nurses to move up in their education. So I'm gonna start with the licensed practical nurse or the vocational nurse. We call licensed practical nurses or vocational nurses, nurses, yet they aren't registered nurses, which stands for RNs and they have shorter vocational training that often happens in high schools or training programs. And they tend to work in nursing homes and they're very skills based. There are two year associate RNs. These are RNs that students that take the same boards as the four year RNs, but again, they're mostly skilled based. Now the IHI has evidence that there are better outcomes for patients in safety when nurses have four-year degrees. So many hospitals have encouraged their two-year RNs to go back for bachelors. Magnet status hospitals, these are hospitals of excellence in nursing and have a very coveted status in the nursing world, encourage each nurse to have at least a four-year bachelors. Then there are the nurses that have their masters. Oftentimes these nurses are educators in hospitals, or they're clinical nurse specialists, they're nurse anesthetists, I always stumble off that one, nurse midwives or nurse practitioners. And NPs are nurses with masters and additional clinical training and certifications. Then there's the terminal degree nurses and DNPs are usually NPs or nurse executives and they can teach, practice, do clinical research, or administrate. This DNP is a shorter educational track and lasts usually a year and a half to or more. Then there are the PhD nurses, and they can do all of the same, but they have more foundational knowledge in research with education and with more education. And they're in school for another five to seven years. PhD nurses are more prepared to do the original research like Elizabeth does and are better equipped to manage larger grants. Thanks, Rita. 
So when we say nurses, we are referring to a wide variety of individuals with a spectrum of expertise and practice. And I want to acknowledge this fact directly. I think that many of our antimicrobial stewardship programs can point to at least a few nurses that we work with, perhaps infection preventionists or hospital administrators with a nursing background. And these individuals are very, very important, and we will include them in our discussions today. That said, I do also want to highlight a special group of nurses that we also want to focus on today, which are bedside nurses or direct care nurses, the people that are day in and day out taking care of our patients on the hospital wards, in our ICUs, in our EDs, and also in our nursing homes, outpatient clinics, and other settings. So Rita, in 2015, you published a paper in Clinical Infectious Diseases with a very to-the-point title, The Critical Role of the Staff Nurse in Antimicrobial Stewardship, Unrecognized but Already There. Now, a lot of us in this space think of that paper as the one that sort of started this whole conversation about the formal inclusion of nurses in antimicrobial stewardship. So could you tell us a bit about what that paper said and what your goal was for writing it? Thanks, David. When I think of the pioneers in antimicrobial stewardship, I think of people like Fishman and Bartlett, who were both ID specialists, and Debbie Goff, who must be familiar to most of your listeners, as she has been a pioneer in pharmacy in so many different ways. The focus was, at the time, over-prescribing of antibiotics, and rightly so. As pharmacists and physicians began to tackle the problem, all sorts of other barriers and challenges began to present themselves. And problems with the electronic medical records, still a problem in many places, by the way, inappropriate testing, inappropriate antibiotic guidelines in various specialties, the lack of antibiograms to inform local sensitivities. These all presented in the antimicrobial stewardship world. So your audience can probably add more to this very challenging list. But what was missing in this larger system was the intimate interface with the patient. Nursing is that intimate interface with the patient. And it makes sense as they're the only healthcare provider that is there with a patient 24-7 at the bedside. For example, a good allergy history by a nurse about a patient's proffered penicillin allergy can help the prescribers and the pharmacists to narrow the spectrum. So Rita, you talked about how the, in, in this article, how the things that bedside nurses are already doing as part of their standard practice overlaps quite a bit with the day-to-day uh, -day activities of antimicrobial stewardship programs so that our audience can actually grasp onto um, some specifics uh, when we talk about nurse involvement in stewardship I'd like to get a little bit more granular here and, and call out some very specific examples of that. Could you, could you help our listeners out with that? So I talked a little bit about getting that accurate antibiotic allergy history before. I know pharmacists are brilliant at doing this. In traditional models, we have ascribed this responsibility actually to pharmacists, but it is nurses that are actually having the first contact with a patient and if they are starting to write down a penicillin allergy, we are in trouble because it will live forever inside that electronic medical record. So one other thing I uh, thought of recently was getting that antibiotic history of the patient. You know, what antibiotics did that patient take within the last six months? Because that may influence 
what the pharmacist and the uh, physician or the prescriber do in ordering that antibiotic. Nurses are responsible for taking cultures and teaching our nurses to get those cultures taken before the start of antibiotics is really important. And also taking those cultures appropriately and when necessary. Now, Elizabeth was talking a little earlier about C. diff, and there's been a lot in the literature about whether or not to have nurses lead in taking those stool samples for C. diff. This is a place where nurses can learn more, but a well-trained nurse, a well-educated nurse can be ahead of the game by catching that stool sample and alerting the prescriber. And then there's progress reporting. We think of progress reports mostly when we think of the person that's writing the notes, and that's usually the physician. And yet nurses are there at the bedside caring for the patient for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and monitoring and communicating daily with the patient and the family. And they're actually in the hub or in the center of a lot of communication that happens around that patient. And when it comes to adverse events, it's the nurse who monitors that patient and reports to the physician and the pharmacist any adverse events. Thank you, Rita. So I'm an infectious diseases pharmacist, one of the quote unquote traditional antimicrobial stewards, if you will. And in my training and practice, I've worked a ton with nurses in all kinds of settings. They've taught me just as much as individuals in, in other health professions, including pharmacy. But I'll admit that early in my career and in my training, I did not think about bedside nurses when it came to antimicrobial stewardship. Sure, people like infection preventionists, advanced practice nurses, nurses in quality, patient safety, and education, and other areas, but not really bedside nurses specifically. Actually, David, I think you're really spot on on that assessment too, because when Jason Newland started our program more than 10 years ago, and I was actually working as an infection preventionist at the time, and I did not see a role for myself in that work. And I really viewed it as a physician, a pharmacist's responsibility is around prescribing. And so being both a nurse and an infection preventionist, I, did, I didn't see that, that role. And I think that's a very different perspective than what we're reading today, where especially when you look at the new core elements, which really describes the role of nurses, the role of infection preventionists, and all these other disciplines that are contributing. But so I mentioned I am a nurse by training. I got my bachelor's, but I was kind of slow walking to that path. And I was a journalism major before, so I'd like to steal the mic and ask Rita how she really came up with that idea around, you know, all these different activities that nurses do on a daily basis that support the process of stewardship. Well, it wasn't me that thought of these, actually. I did a Delphi survey for my DNP, and I gathered together these 10 nurse educators, and I said, tell me what you know about antimicrobial stewardship, and they gave me a blank look. And I, I, one of the takeaways I got from that actually was, don't ask people to tell you about antimicrobial stewardship. What you need to do is say, I know you're doing antimicrobial stewardship activities like da-da-da-da. Anyway, I asked these women, they were all women, to tell me about antimicrobial stewardship. They couldn't give me an answer. 
So I gave him a four-hour course by a pharmacist, a microbiologist, an infectious disease specialist, and myself. And then I said, okay, tell me what is nursing doing that is related to what we just talked about? And they came up with these great ideas, which I wrote down and I put inside this grid, which is in the CID article. And that was the basis of it. Okay. So I'm convinced nurses are important teammates in the fight against antimicrobial resistance. I, I will say, Rita, I think you outlined this perfectly, um, and Elizabeth, you as well. That was certainly my experience with um, sort of engaging nursing in antimicrobial stewardship. I think one of the keys was uh, a little bit of humility in acknowledging the fact that I don't fully understand what you do. Perhaps you don't fully understand what I do. Let's talk, let's educate one another, and let's come up with something together. And so I will say that in, in speaking with a lot of pharmacists um, and some physicians on the topic of engaging nurses in antimicrobial stewardship, I do find that people are intimidated not by nurses per se, or not by individual nurses, but by nursing as a whole. It's a, like we talked about, a very diverse and large, numerous group of individuals. And, you know, how do you engage nurses? And, and what, what, what type of feedback am I going to get when I, when I approach these people? And, and, and obviously, like you said, Rita, um, if you know one nurse, you just know one nurse, right? And so this is not to say that all nurses feel a certain way, um, because that's really impossible to truly say. But um, as best we know, um, because uh, I know, Elizabeth, you had done a lot of research in this area. Um, what do actual nurses think about this? Um, are they confident with, with some of the specifics? I think, Rita, you kind of alluded to some of these issues uh, just now. Are nurses even interested in antimicrobial stewardship? Tell us a little bit about this. So David, I actually heard kind of two questions in that. One, which is how do we actually approach nursing as a whole or those individual nurses as far as moving stewardship forward? And then, you know, what are the data telling us? And so just starting first with how, how to engage nurses, there's actually a great article. I'm actually going to step back for a moment because I think it's really nice to see a lot of the socio-behavioral sciences being published within the medical literature. And there's some really nice work by Asmita Charani and then a follow-up commentary in clinical infectious disease by Julie Simzak. And she talked about how medical and surgical teams work differently. They communicate differently. And I think that's really the same premise for nursing too. And I've, I've taken those findings and really tried to think about them within my own practice at Children's Mercy too. So when I think about, you know, how do we engage nurses is really what the objective is. So starting those programs, I think those nurse leaders can be a really important piece. So as, as Rita outlined in the very beginning, nurses practice across the care continuum, they hold leadership positions, and their job really as administrators are really to spearhead those strategic initiatives to help keep patients safe. And so you may see nurses leading the operations of various clinical departments. I'm sure you've all had exposure to that or different educational initiatives or then more of the work that I've been involved in, which is more surveillance or the heavy analysis work in infection prevention and quality and safety. When I think about like nurse leaders, one great example is actually our chief nursing officer who really, I would say, started the movement within Children's Mercy. 
when I approached her after that annual conference and I said, you know, I think there's an opportunity with stewardship and she created a position and that's really how my role evolved around research, around nurse engagement and some of the operational work that I do as well. And our CNO, who's Sheree Hunt, is really that ardent supporter of nursing practice. And I think that key piece of nursing leaders can really help position nurses, those content experts to, to those collaborative type of opportunities where we can really work together to dedicate our efforts to improving patient care. And so I think, you know, if you're a pharmacist and you're trying to figure out who do you approach first, it could be one, addressing those nursing leaders in those administrative roles. It could be those direct care or division or um, departmental directors, however they're termed within your facilities. And so, for example, I was talking with one who dramatically changed our stewardship programming. She actually, she's in a post-operative unit and she said, you know, Elizabeth, I noticed we're wasting a lot of antibiotics when patients come back from surgery. And so our infectious disease pharmacist started to look at it. And I would say our, our programming goals over the past year dramatically changed simply because Maggie said, you know, this is an area where I think nurses are observing an opportunity for practice change. So to try and address that first question is really thinking about like, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to set up more getting nurse support? I think talking with those nurse leaders of where they might intervene because there might be opportunities to think about different residency programs or educational initiatives where there might be a natural fit. And I think this, the other piece is the direct care, talking most, more specifically to those direct care nurses because they're the ones that can really help us identify in those direct roles, as Rita talked about um, in her Delphi study, where they might intervene within their units. I think in respect to the second question, you asked a little bit about where are nurses confident? And so what we did is based on Rita's work, we developed a survey. And so we wanted to know how our nurses within our facility, what they saw their role and how confident they were in performing activities that support those stewardship process. So we basically took Rita's activities and put them into a role and, and a confidence question. And we found that nurses were highly confident in assessing for an adverse drug history, obtaining cultures before antibiotics and participating in, in patient education. And I would say in the literature that has followed, patient education is definitely one theme that seems to, to be um, repeated throughout. We did find that nurses were less confident in reviewing microbiology results to determine antibiotic appropriateness. And that's, I think, also pretty consistent with what the literature and I would say the clinical gestalt of the people that participated in the CDC ANA working group is that nurses are quite insecure in that because they don't receive a lot of education within their educational programs. And then really later when they start performing as clinical nurses within their respective facilities. Elizabeth, can I jump in here for a second? Because I think you're totally on target with what you just said about the um, confidence. And I was recently working with Molly Courtney out of Cardiff University. And uh, she was pulling together the competencies for pre-licensure nursing. And one of the things that was consistent in the nine countries that were part of this survey was that nursing education was somewhat discombobulated when it came to antimicrobial stewardship. They taught microbiology here, and it was taught by a microbiologist, and then they taught pharmacology here, and sometimes it was taught by a pharmacist, and, and the nursing students would sit there, and they would look like they had no idea what the pharmacist was trying to teach them. I've been in some of those lectures, by the way. 
and then the students would go to a clinical site and the preceptor would assume that they knew what they were already doing and they didn't. And uh, the end result was that the, the students weren't confident. So I think as an educator myself, I feel like I need to do a better job of getting our nurses ready, my students ready for antimicrobial stewardship. And I think that um, the new efforts coming out with getting those competencies adopted by these uh, first world countries and some middle income countries who were part of the survey, uh, the, again, another Delphi survey, because we really are early in our understanding of what nurses need to do and how they get educated. So this confidence piece I think some part of it is me as an educator, I own it. I think our job really as stewards is helping to create leaders. So you're really helping them solve the problem where they're at. And so I think part of that is understanding where the barriers, current barriers are. And so what the data are suggesting is that how these teams function is a really important piece for us to address. I don't know if it's necessarily always the technical skills because we're finding that most of the time nurses know the indication, they know mm -hmm. activities that help support the process of stewardship, you're probably in many ways rekindling it. So recognizing how taking an allergy history informs antibiotic selection. But I think the other piece is that creating the environment where there's space for these heedful interactions amongst the team. So that yes, it's helpful for me as the nurse to raise the question around duration or you know the antibiotic plan of care because I'm getting ready to go talk with the family and I want them to be informed about what you're doing. And what do they need to do and understand what potentially what the risks are related to the drug. So they are much more informed community base. And I think that's really the key point about nursing, right? We're the largest profession. They're the group that probably interfaces with, you know, the neighbors or at their faith-based organizations or any other place. And they're going to ask questions. And I think that's why the whole point, as Rita said, is preparing them within their undergraduate programs as they emerge back into the to the acute care environment that we can prepare them so they can talk to our communities. Elizabeth, you are on target there. Do you know that uh, Scotland is now calling it community antimicrobial stewardship in that the nurses are teaching communities about antimicrobial stewardship because they have such access to the patients and families and the faith-based communities especially in Scotland with such a small population and not a lot of physicians and pharmacists around. Nursing is doing a lot of education out there in the public. So, um, and we communicate a lot. I mean, that's one thing we do in nursing school really well. We teach communication skills. I, I think this can lend itself to bringing antimicrobial stewardship to another level. When I think about it too, and I, I keep going back to one of the notes that I had in it when I was teaching one of our safety courses, and it was a quote from Colin Powell, and he talks about leadership is solving problems. And the day people stop bringing you their problems is the day you stop leading them. They've lost confidence that you can help. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and I think about that with the pharmacist, the role of the pharmacist and the nurse, because we know from either the research I've done or from other folks um, out of Utah, like Merrill, it's really said, you know, most of the time nurses know the indication. I found that as well in another study that I'm working on. But we know that 30% of those nurses that she had in her study said, you know, they've given an inappropriate dose. 
or their 20 to 30% of them are not asking questions around the choice, the dose, the route, and the duration, as, as some of those things may be out of scope. And then there was another one, another study out of Richmond, Virginia, that talked about, again, nurses not seeing some of this work as in scope. So I think when I think about the pharmacist, it's not so much around developing necessarily all these different tools and scripted conversation, which can be helpful because we know that through our patient safety literature, but I think it's really about helping them develop their collective wisdom. And so when they are bringing an issue or a question about it, it's creating the space where nurses feel comfortable to ask a question because I think they are quite vulnerable around their antibiotic knowledge, around interpreting the microbiology susceptibility reports. And so if, a, if they raise a question around the duration that the pharmacist might be that, that conduit or that person that can really help them feel confident mm-hmm. to raise the questions during interdisciplinary rounds. And I think about that in, your, in the work that, in the study that you had. Um, I think you've built a relationship with direct care nurses and the educators. And to me, that's really where the pharmacist role and the nurse's role are really a nice marriage. Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for bringing up some of the work that we had done. I'll highlight it a bit for our listeners. In my former hospital, we were successful in implementing a nurse-driven antimicrobial stewardship intervention led by bedside nurses, and it was supported by ID pharmacists, infection preventionists, nurse practitioners, and ID physicians, and it was in the form of multidisciplinary rounds. We focused on antibiotic use, acid suppressant use, as well as central venous and urinary catheters with the goal of improving the use of antimicrobials, reducing C. diff infection, and reducing Clabsy and Cotti. Now, this was in addition to our already established daily audit and feedback rounds, and so it supplemented our traditional antimicrobial stewardship activities. We launched this in 2016 on a 31-bed medical step-down telemetry unit, and later in 2018, expanded to two additional cardiac telemetry units. We initially published our one-year findings in the Joint Commission's journal on the pilot, showing reductions in pretty much all of those metrics. And you can also take a look in that publication on more details on our design and the development process. And more recently, we presented on our two and a half year findings at ID Week across all three units showing a similar and durable effect. Now, some of the key takeaways for me from that experience, besides the obvious improvements in quality of patient care, were precisely what you mentioned, Elizabeth. By having those regular interactions with our nurses, where we walk through the thought process of critically assessing their patients' antibiotics and other therapies, we found that antibiotics were no longer seen by our nurses just as a task, just as a drug to be administered, but instead also as a therapy to be revisited on a daily basis for appropriateness. What is this antibiotic treating? Is our working diagnosis still an infectious diagnosis requiring antibiotics in the first place? Does this antibiotic match the patient's culture results? Is the antibiotic's duration outside the typical duration for a given infection? Is there an opportunity for an oral transition? And the magic happened when these assessments were no longer only being made by these nurses on the days that we had rounds, because we only had them twice a week. 
they were happening every day, these assessments, maybe multiple times daily. And the nurses became more comfortable bringing these discussions up to our floor pharmacists and our physicians. Prescribing improved and we saw the results that we saw. And as a result of that, because of the success of the intervention, it has been ongoing now for uh, the better part of three and a half years. David, that was a really synergistic program you put together. And a lot of it had to do with building those relationships. And I remember talking to you at one point and you said, there was pizza. There was some pizza involved. <laughs> there was. <laughs> there was pizza. And so I, I think that antimicrobial stewardship doesn't have to be scary. It's about relationships. It's about being synergistic with each other and making you know everybody in the team stronger. And uh, by including the nurses as you did in that multi-year study, I think you proved that adding somebody that's close to the patient and close to those families that are going to need that education is really important. To kind of go back to something that I think you had said, Rita, about the fact that we are very early and we're still, you know, as a, as a community learning about um, how to do stewardship well, because I, I think we are very, very far from perfecting our practices. You know, as much as perhaps our listeners would love to hear something like, okay, here's a list of five things that you need to do. Go talk to this nurse and this nurse and this nurse and this nurse and then have them do these things and then you're going to have, you know, a great stewardship program with, um, you know, nursing engagement. It's really not that simple. And, and anyone that's done anything in stewardship knows that even the very seemingly simple, you know, core elements of stewardship programs are actually quite complex to actually initiate and, and, and to, to actually do them well. And so um, I really want to emphasize that point that we are very early in our understanding of how best to uh, engage uh, nurses in antimicrobial stewardship, really how best to engage a lot of people in antimicrobial stewardship, to be quite honest. But the fact that we're so early in this conversation that um, if anybody listening if you yourself or, or you know someone who is engaging nurses in some interesting, unique way, uh, I would really encourage you to, uh, to get that out there in some form. Publish it, blog about it, tweet about it, whatever, whatever you want to do to get that out. I think it's, it's, it's so important here to have stories. We are a work in progress, that's for sure. And uh, these relationships that are being built uh, do take time. And remember, I don't know if I said this in the beginning, but I got, I think antimicrobial stewardship for me actually started back when I was working in uh, thanatology because I had to go across so many dis different disciplines and I had to learn all of those different languages. And when I think of stewardship, I think of, you know, physicians speak one way and have one focus. Pharmacists have another nurses have another and my administrator has another and when we pull those when we can actually hear those languages around stewardship i think we are all trying for the same thing but we just haven't gotten the language close close enough yet so i actually think you guys are spot on on the language piece in fact valerie vaughn out of the university of michigan and the va center up there and i presented id week this past year really on how to frame conversations both with nurses and with hospitalists because as Rita mentioned, we're all 
intending to do the same thing. We're just coming at it from a different viewpoint or a different lens. And so the language is a little bit different. And actually there was an interesting article in Itchy a while back from Daniel Sexton out of Duke University. And he called, I think it was entitled Hospital Epidemiologist and the Art of Salesmanship. And there is when he really urged us, be that I think about it as stewards as well, to be better versed in the train and trained in the arts of salesmanship. And he says, you know, negotiations, active listening, communication, and really even marketing. And I think half the time of the work that I do is really just thinking about how do we label this program to other disciplines that don't do this as part of their routine work. Like, in other words, they are, are direct care nurses. They are not responsible for the daily operations of stewardship. And so I think about it as connecting this to terms that they're familiar with. So I, I oftentimes talk about this. This is a medication safety issue. And I think, again, you saw that in Merrill's article too. And again, we potentially are giving the wrong drug or perhaps the wrong composition of the drug. And then also thinking about it from a outcome space, as far as are we wasting drugs that may be necessary? I think that's very near and dear to nurses because they think more facilities are using perhaps like lean methodologies. So they have the huddle board. So they're looking at some sort of stewardship. And so I think being able to connect that beyond prescribing to terms that are already familiar to it. So we're using the same language. And I know Valerie said the same thing with the hospitalists too. Again, everybody's working on quality and some of those metrics. But um, so again, trying to think of those connecting terms, I think could be very beneficial when you're trying to message this to, I would say, the daily steward. I actually think that's a really important point you bring up there about language and terminology, Elizabeth. I think a lot of us as antimicrobial stewards use the word stewardship, assuming that everyone knows what that means. But in actuality, a lot of groups within healthcare use the same word, stewardship, in lots of different capacities. From personal experience working with nurses in antimicrobial stewardship and developing the program at my former institution, we actually took six months to figure out and launch our program. And a lot of that time was spent simply having open conversations about what each group, so antimicrobial stewardship, nursing, infection prevention, what exactly each group was interested in and where we overlapped. And honestly, the key to all of this was a good dose of humility. I don't fully understand what it is that you do, and perhaps you don't fully understand what it is that I do. Why don't we stop talking for a second, listen to one another, listen to what it is that you do and what you're interested in, and let's be open to the collaborative possibilities here. And once we started having that kind of conversation, it really started coming together and we obviously landed on something that was pretty successful. Now, I'm going to pivot a little bit here because we can't forget to acknowledge for our listeners the fact that the updated CDC core elements of hospital antimicrobial stewardship programs highlights nurses explicitly calling out some of the potential roles that we had already touched on, like diagnostic stewardship, proper culture collection, prompting discussions regarding antimicrobial treatment, including things like indication and duration, as well as evaluating antimicrobial allergies. I was thinking that, you know, with the recent CDC and the core, the core elements as they were revised, you know, we've talked a little bit about nurse executives or as pharmacists, you know, there's an opportunity maybe for you to connect with those administrators, 
certainly with the direct care nurses where they think that work might be meaningful in their units. And I think that aligns quite nicely with the, the CDC core elements, simply because I believe there's a component in there under hospital leadership where it says like there's regular reporting to leaders. And so in my own work, I'm kind of considering that as a potential angle of how I might be able to disseminate information and work done within our program to leaders simply because that is part of those core elements. Um, the other piece of the core elements too, which we haven't really talked about, but I think you reflected within the work that you did was engaging and leveraging the skill set of infection preventionists. And I think that that becomes really important simply because they are the group that really does interface with nursing quite a bit and can also help when we talked about, about labeling programs, can help message that to nurses, perhaps in language that they understand around mitigation strategies for and prevention efforts. And I think that's just another component that we didn't, I don't think formally address, but it might be worthwhile to connect. And, I, and again, drawing people back to the APIC, Shea, and Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists Joint Physician Paper, which really talked about how infection prevention can really, again, help deliver that message. So I think that just about sums it up. Nurses are very capable, energetic, diverse, and they're obviously a numerous group of healthcare professionals. Harnessing their efforts to support antimicrobial stewardship is simply a no-brainer. Several institutions are doing some very innovative things with nurses and way more is needed. And of course, our governmental bodies like the CDC, as well as our professional organizations support this. And if you're listening to this and you're involving your nurses in a unique way in your stewardship program, again, don't just keep it for yourself. Share it, publish it, present it somewhere, blog or tweet about it. Whatever you have to do, just get it out there. And if you're looking into publishing, don't forget to look into nursing journals as well. So Rita and Elizabeth, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today on this podcast. It has really been such a treat to learn from both of you and to be able to just dive in on this subject that is really important, but I think still very new to many of us. Thank you, David. It's been a tremendous privilege. I really have enjoyed visiting with you today and thank you for your interest as, as this work moves forward. Thanks, David, for passing this forward. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I, I've enjoyed this. We, we should do this again. <laughs> we, we don't necessarily have to talk about anything like this. We can just do, we can do a podcast on something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And thank you as well to the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists for recognizing the importance of this topic. And a special shout out to my buddy, Aaron McCreary, for getting me to do this podcast. You were right, Aaron. This was fun. So in closing, thank you to Dr. Rita Olins, Assistant Professor in the School of Nursing at the Massachusetts General Hospital Institute for Health Professions in Boston, Massachusetts, and to Dr. Elizabeth Montes, Antibiotic Stewardship Program Manager and Senior Patient Care Services Researcher at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri. I have been your host, David Ha, and this is Breakpoints, the Society of Infectious Diseases Pharmacists podcast. Mm -hmm.